Hello, and welcome to Horror Spiria. My name is May. And I'm Clinton, and we're here for a very special reason. Yes, we do have a podcast together. <laughs> no, but yes, this is our first episode of the year, and it is a special one because we are previewing yet another film series that will be programmed at Suns this summer, which the first one was a big success. Mm-hmm, it was. This is yes. Sun Cinema in Washington, D.C., yes. the nation's capital. In Mount Pleasant? Is that Mount Pleasant? It is um as far as i know okay. which is not more than you so yeah we don't know that much about yeah. geography but yes yeah, sun cinema we love them because it was such a successful partnership the first time around i pitched a summer series that is still horror obviously that's what we do here but looking at films through a slightly different lens right mm. And so we are previewing what I call the Tropicoth series, the Tropical Goth Film Series, a series that is all about films from underrepresented, underseen Latin American countries, but also one that is tied to the idea of the Black Atlantic, which is an idea sort of theorized by Paul Gilroy, who's like a philosopher, theorist, so on and so forth, regarding the Black diaspora. And in two of these three films, you know, Afro-Latin identity is very uh, central. And even in something like the other film there are a lot of identity things going on so i thought of this series kind of to show people films from latin american countries that aren't like you know mexico argentina but also to kind of speak to this idea of identity formation through all of these different lenses that make up the heterogeneity of latin america so i'm very excited and what better time to do that than in the summer when it's hot, in getting sweaty in the nation's capital, the capital yes. of horror, some I, would say. <laughs> I'm not sure about that. But, A political uh, horror. Poli- oh, yeah. Yeah. And, and, and actually, all of these films are very political in their own ways, particularly in regards to subject and identity formation. And so this episode we want to treat more as a preview rather than like an analysis mm-hmm. so we're going to get try your whistle wet yes <laughs> that's a that's a saying <laughs> um we're going to try to stay away from spoilers especially because some of these films we've actually already talked about on the pod um and yeah we've already yeah. spoiled baccaro i forget baccaro 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 we already spoiled that one, but if you haven't heard it, then perfect. You're yeah, in the right place. then you can go back and hear it. And if you have heard it, it's great too because, um, like me, my memory is not great. So did you have to rewatch it? I didn't, but I should have. But I will because I'm going to go to the Sun Cinema. Oh, very nice. Yeah. Um. Yes. So that is what we aim to do here. We we really want to contextualize these films because these films are very different. Super, you would say. Oh, right? for sure. Yeah. 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 But when you, I didn't know what the theme was when I was watching it. Uh, but now that you've revealed, you know, Tropagoth, it, 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 I get it now. And yeah. even just from the color, there's so much color and, and tropical yeah. vibrancy, you know, yeah. uh, 
yeah in all the shots and stuff so yeah. uh and never and all of these films in different ways and to be totally frank not all of these uh, like uh so the films we're looking at i guess mm-hmm. we should let's get them out there <laughs> get yeah. into that so in june on june 28th specifically we'll be looking at diablo rojo party from panama directed by sol moreno and it is panama's first horror film Mm-hmm. It is also the only film in this crop of films directed by a woman. So, you know, that's awesome. And it came out around 2019, 2020. Um, and one of my... Uh, impetuses for organizing this series is that we have talked about how historically awful distribution is for Latin American horror and Diablo Rojo Party I think is definitely one of those films that was got by that distribution bug like it didn't have a theatrical window Mm -hmm. and it sort of just lives on the margins of streaming services yeah and Tubi when you're on Tubi no, uh, yeah, sucks. so it's on, you saw it on Tubi. The yeah. first time I saw it, I saw it on Hoopla, which is yeah. the, like, Prince William <laughs> County <laughs> library. Uh-huh. And, like, Although, like, academically respectful because it's library connected, but... I'm not sure, but it couldn't even get Canopy. Like, Canopy is respected. Hoopla is, like, not respected. You don't think it's that, It's the yeah. Tubi of the... Uh, it's, like... Yeah. And, um... And we'll be, I'll be very upfront here. When I proposed screening Diablo Rojo Party, David was like, are you sure it has a lot of bad reviews? And I think it's because, again, the awful distribution pattern of this film, the people that have found it have expected something very different from what it is. Mm-hmm. And I think that this is one of the most fun, uh, incredibly unique also just like a different perspective of Latin America and mm-hmm. a different um you know mytholo- myth- mythology going on um and I love it. So Diablo Rojo Party is one of the first ones. What are quick initial reaction? Do we like it? Uh so having to watch it on Tubi is a bit of a chore because the ad breaks. Yeah. It's like it's bad. So every time an ad break happens, yeah. It's like you don't want to watch the ads, so you pick up your phone. And then once the ads are over, you're still looking at your phone. So I'm excited to see it in a theater, uh, how it's intended to be watched, which is, you know, as a movie and not like chopped up every five minutes. Yeah. yeah. And and I love the, the initial premise of you really feel like you're transported into a culture that is unfamiliar. Yeah. And when when that happens uh from in a cinema um you kind of you don't know what to expect next because right. you've never been there before right. so it opens up and there's this uh bus that's like got all these neon lights and yeah. looks okay. like a party bus we'll talk about it more okay we'll, talk about we'll get it there more. okay um but yeah there so you go interesting Promising. premise and yeah i really i just love See, I always say that this film just reminds me of, like, the best Sam Raimi film that Latin America never made. Mm. And, um, and yeah, so I really love it. So we have that coming in June. In July, we'll be playing Bacurau, which is definitely one of our shared favorites. Yeah, that, um, that movie. Yes, yeah, set in the Brazilian Zeltal. 
um, technically sort of like very polar opposite to the idea of tropical. But again, it does tie into the idea of the Black Atlantic, which in and of itself is like the Caribbean basin and all of the diaspora that came with that. Um, but also just another really fascinating film that delves into like, you know, religion, community, uh, industry, r- you know, rural life, so on and mm-hmm. so forth. Yeah. Um, any initial reaction would you want to give to the people about Baccarat? Uh, same thing about, you know, being transported. And I think that's the best about... All of these films, I think, do an incredible job with transportation. Yeah. So you're not... If you're not that familiar with international horror stuff, or if you've only seen a few things that are s- kind of similar to American horror or what, you know, what you've seen in the, in the horror canon or whatever, like to really be transported, you feel like you're getting like a history lesson and you're you're immediately asking questions about, wait, is this normal? Or, you know, what's, what's this like? What is a funeral here? What is the, every one of these movies, yeah. y- you, you, you kind of want to chase the Wikipedia afterwards and be like, Wow, what what was going on? There's a lot to There's a lot uh, there. Yeah, there's yeah, no, there's a lot. Yes, I absolutely agree. I think and on uh, almost in very differing ways. Like I think Diablo Rojo Party is just like such a fun film, but there is so much you could look up mm-hmm. about it. Um Bacurao, we've talked about definitely feels like a film in halves where like it's just like many different things going on and then Santa Sangre is the third one that we are going to be screening it is also the only one technically from the 20th century so I did want wow. to give history lesson oh my god <laughs> uh, it's only 1989 though yeah. I-, I thought this thing looked like it could have been in the 69 like this thing it's very classic looking yeah the design and everything so that one's by Alejandro Hororowski and it's also the maniac, the yeah, maniac I himself. Him. <laughs> you you love Holy Mountain. I think you've said. I right? don't think I love it, but I've seen it. Yeah, I love it for the stories, like the background, and uh, yeah. I don't think I told you it was Alejandro. When you did no, but, but I saw before I watched. It, I thought, oh my god, here we go. <laughs> I totally forgot. It's only now that I just like remember that we've had a conversation about Alejandro and Holy Mountain before. Yeah, um, it definitely made me uneasy. I was like, oh, what am oh, I yeah. about to watch? No. What's going to happen? <laughs> David. Is the death going to be real? <laughs> oh, my God. Da- David literally said, yeah, we'll play Santa Sangre, but we should probably give a trigger warning beforehand. And I was like, why? And then I was like, oh, I guess. Yeah. It would be weird. nice to know <laughs> that um, animals aren't being butchered in front of you for realsies. Well, we don't know. <laughs> no, I'm kidding. I'm kidding. I saw some, um, some interview that was like, oh, yeah, yeah. The... Totally. The elephant, that wasn't real blood and everything. I'm like, okay, good. Yeah. I'm just going to, I won't check the sources on that one. I'm just going to go with it. And Santa Sangre might be the most syncretic of all of them in a weird way because- What's that mean? uh, Syncretic. So, uh, you know, like a mixture of different cultures, references, because it is technically set in Mexico, though I don't believe- Yes. Oh my god. Though gosh. I don't believe that's ever like discussed outright. Okay. So it was filmed in Mexico, set in Mexico. Oh, but wow. the director is Chilean. Uh the co-writers and a lot of the producers were Italian. And it's in English. 
This is Dario Argento. Claudio Argento. Claudio Argento. Claudio okay. Argento, and I think Roberto Ilioni, something like that. Okay. Um, and yeah, and it's set in English, but I, I do. Yeah, think... and they they filmed it in English. Yeah, that. They, okay. Yeah. <laughs> Were you not That's watching the mouse? I was. I was like, hmm. <laughs> you I still like... can't tell. <laughs> <laughs> no, yeah, it was filmed in English. Um, uh, rest in peace, Cristobal Hororowski stars in it, which is Alejandro's son. He just oh. died a few months ago. Um, but yeah, a very syncretic film and also a film that... Is he the main character? Yeah, he's he's oh. the main character. F- Felix Phoenix? Phoenix. Phoenix, yeah. yeah. Which Phoenix? Phoenix. Got it. Uh-huh. Yeah. Um, Got and... it now. I didn't get it when I was watching <laughs> it. But... Um, and... Uh, it's definitely, a, I mean, a lot of things going on in that film, but I think of all of them, it kind of gives almost like this fairy tale of like national identity right into like gender abjection and so many other things, but a good, a good watch, right? Yeah, definitely. If you're into weird shit, you're going to love it. <laughs> yeah. I think that's all three of these. All three yeah. of these have very surrealistic aspects with I think Santa Sangre being on one end and Diablo Rojo Party being like the other end. Um, So yeah, so we'll talk a little bit more about all of these and also um, something that I didn't realize and this is genuine, something that I didn't realize until after I like submitted these films and programmed them with David was that Two of the three I included in my chapter on Afro-Latine horror in Latin America that is going to be out on with Oxford University this year. Like I literally just signed yeah. the contract and everything. Uh, and, and, and what book? It's Global Black Horror edited okay. by our queen robin means coleman uh so i just like all of that is surreal but wow. the reason why i mentioned that not to necessarily name drop because i don't know when it's coming out technically yeah. i just know that i signed the contract so at all least right. you know it's it's coming out at some point yeah is when in this chapter i i build up a lot about how the afro-latina identity is in and of itself like marginalized within the marginalized and actually Mm -hmm. the last time that we did a latin american horror podcast it was before i had done my phd before i had done a lot of reading and um i rarely re-listen to our podcast but i'm sure if i were to listen back to that one now i would probably cringe uh because there is so much more context that i have now that i really want to bring to this discussion because um for baccarat specifically or for, for all of them yeah. for all of them because when we look at these three films even though santa sangre i think is the only one that obviously doesn't have like this distinct racial metaphor or racial lens going on there's still a lot going on in uh, santa sangre regarding identity formation through like queerness mm-hmm. through um through these syncretic identities playing along in the film with you know the chilean director the mexican backdrop um the relationship with the united states Mm -hmm. so on and so forth and it speaks directly to this idea of tropagoth in the sense that like i chose these films to show the underrepresented of the underrepresented, right? Like, mm-hmm. um, we're not talking about a Mexican majority lens. We're not talking about 
Um, we're, we're looking at things that aren't discussed already in a genre that isn't respected in the region and therefore makes it difficult for it to travel outside to U.S. audiences and mm-hmm. so forth. So, um, Real quick, real quick. Um, don't you think there's um, a conversation there in Santa Sangre about race? Um, oh, yes. You know, because yes. you've got some some light skin or white characters oh, yes. in blackface, like in a clown, in the clown circus stuff. Yeah. Then yeah, you've yeah. got some darker skin characters who look like they could be stereotypes of, yeah. you know, violent or sexual, yeah. et cetera. You right. So there, yeah. there's, there's conversations there there's, too. Oh yes, absolutely. Don't want to, there, there's a lot going on in Santa Sangre. Yeah. Um, so I guess before we, I, before I begin to read some things that I want to situate regarding Latin American horror, uh, just a real quick uh, pulse check. Anything you've watched this year you would like to? Yeah, shout I, out? I watched The Northman again. Okay, so moving on. To- <laughs> <laughs> and I have I have some like additional thoughts. I understand why it wasn't a hit. No shit. Yeah. It's kind of goofy. It's it's awful. I mean, I guess that's why I like it that it's so goofy, but yeah, I just it, it hits different in the home movie experience as opposed to the theaters where you were transported. We, we watched it in Dolby. Yes. And then I, I was in the hut with the child. Literally farting, my asshole was vibrating. Pretending to be a dog, eat, licking dirty water. Just, I was I there. I saw that. Did you see Bo is Afraid yet? I don't even know what that is. It's the new Ari Oster movie, Joaquin Phoenix. Oh, I generally don't like Joaquin Phoenix and films. I don't like Ariel. Uh, yeah, I haven't and who's seen Ari Oster again? Midsummer, Hereditary. Oh, I don't like those either. Yeah, no. But, okay. Oh, okay, yeah. Now I know anti- what you're talking about. <laughs> We're anti Ari. There's Oster ad here. for the ads for this everywhere. Yeah, no shit. I Is think it, it any flopped, good? though. I think it, I, I I'm not gonna watch it. I've learned my lesson with Hereditary yeah. Midsummer. Is this like a comedy though? What it's is this? It's a horror comedy. It, it, it they say that oh, it's like watch more it This is actually really terrible for us. Yeah. <laughs> for people listening to the podcast. Sorry, we do not like Ari Oster. I also don't like yeah. Robert Eggers. This man. Wow. Does, so. Robert Eggers is America's director. Uh, that said no one ever. <laughs> um, He's all right. the new gen. So to move on, I the only thing I want to shout out is not really horror related. Okay. And I was super surprised that I liked this because we know my feelings about Spain. Okay. But, yeah. But um, we know that that's. No. We know it, that's just. No. Some lingering haterness. <laughs> um, <laughs> and yeah. No, it's, it's valid. valid. It's, yeah, it's, yeah. There we go. Uh, but I, I started watching Veneno. Have you seen Veneno? No. What's oh, that? Oh, you would love Veneno. Veneno is a mini series about the, like, it's about, a, it's a true story based on a true story kind of thing uh, on this transgender female star in Spain that was like super famous yes. in the 90s. Okay. I've, when this trailer dropped for that show. Oh, you've seen the I trailer. I saw the trailer and I was like, this looks awesome. It is awesome. It is. And you know how much prejudice I have. Yes. And I was like, so I, I started watching it because uh, I'm going to New York next week and one of my friends was like, hey, I want to take it to a drag show about Veneno. Have you seen the show? And, and, 
uh, Heather had recommended it to me before because Heather right now is doing like her queerest year thing where she is where she and her wife are watching everything uh, queer. Right. Okay. Um, but again, I was like, I don't know, you know, like Spain. Yeah. <laughs> um, yeah. But because uh, Chris bought me a ticket, I was like, you know what? Sure. Why yeah. not? It's only eight episodes. We'll see how it goes. I have like a week to watch it. Uh-huh. And I'm on like, I started like three days ago and I'm on episode six. And I'm like, is this HBO? How do you watch it? It is on Max, technically. God Max. damn. What do they do? Okay. <laughs> I know. Yeah. Um, no. So, yes. Originally. So, now yes. HBO Max is Max, but yes, it's Why, on Max. Uh, I'm already know the answer to this. Why didn't this like show get more acclaim? Oh, wait, that right. Is That's it, what I it, thought. It's the same because thing. It's distribution. Also like, like, no, no, I just think that like, because Spain never has problems with distribution. They're yeah. fucking Spain. I mean, it's right? HBO. So and, and and yeah, and and when it got what I I. I I would need to do research and I'm, I don't care about it like that. Yeah, <laughs> but yeah. uh, what I assume is that, you know, it was made on Spanish television, did well on Spanish television because it did well on Spanish television. Uh, a, uh, David Zaslav, motherfucker from HBO, Warner Brothers, Vitacon, whatever uh-huh. the fuck, Max. Yeah. Um, but uh, bought it. Uh, they rebranded it as like a Max original, and I just think that you know it's it's like a general American public kind of thing where yeah. it's like oh foreign television, fuck you. In many ways, like especially with the way that Max has been like f- fucking up like all of their fucking programming. Yeah, I almost feel like it would have done better on Netflix. It would have. It absolutely yeah, would have because Netflix people, people yeah. watch. Like, international TV international on Netflix. Yeah, I've been going on a lot of Amtrak's over the last week, uh-huh. or I was traveling a lot over the last week, and I kept sitting next to people that were just watching like Korean and white yeah. people. Let me be specific; these white were white people. people watching like Korean, Asian dramas uh-huh. on their train rides, and I was like, "That's interesting." And all on Netflix, like I would see yeah. it was on Netflix. Yeah. Um, but it is a bit like explicit. Uh, which, of course, yeah. because uh, Veneno, she was originally a sex worker, uh-huh. and, but a like, reporter found her while like troll or not trolling, but patrolling or I don't know, you know, whatever journalists do to find subjects. Yeah. Um, the sex uh, workers area in Madrid. And because she just had like so much personality and whatnot, she transitioned from being a sex worker to a television star. Uh-huh. And, um, you know, it, it, what I really love about this show is that it gives so much complexity to transgender female portrayals that I genuinely have never seen before even if some of the like markers like you know there is that sex worker thing but I mean that it's based on a true story like that's actually what happened and um and the really interesting thing is that like her story came to light because of a different transgender woman that at the time she was she hadn't transitioned yet but through her forging a friendship with Veneno and wanting to write a book about her, Mm. she came into her own identity. So it's like definitely like there are so many transgender legacies within the film, within the series really as well. Um, It's just so fascinating. I love it. I, 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 and like I said, I would not, say watch something from spain ever i think this is the oh first time i'm ever <laughs> saying please go watch this yeah thing. all right all right um yeah i'm watching some uh different on a different level 
uh, show. It's kind of just trash, but it's also fun. It's the show. Do we talk about this in our personal communications? The one that's like, it's like they're on an island and they're like influencers, but then they're stuck on the island and it's like kind of a cult on the island. No. I don't even know what it's called. Okay. That does not convince me to watch it. (laughs) It's kind of fun though. It's, it's mid and enjoyable. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. All right. So Veneno is the only thing anyone should watch. (laughs) All right. So, I mean, and that's a good transition because we wouldn't have Latin America if it wasn't for fucking Spain, right? And that's like... Big yikes. (laughs) That's like, oh, Spain and Portugal. Sorry. Spain and Portugal. There we go. Um, Portugal is a lot more likable, though. Oh, okay. um, In my opinion. Yeah. But, okay. So... Uh, just to kind of set the stage for Tropicoth, that's probably like something that we should say, right? Is that like Spain and Portugal colonized this region of the world for centuries and centuries and centuries. Um, in the 20th century, there were many different and varied fights for independence that were that ranged from like extremely, extremely, extremely violent to extremely violent. Okay. You know, you yeah. have. I was things, wondering where you're gonna go there. Yeah, right? no. Um, <laughs> so just a little violent. <laughs> just like you know, well, like I guess like Puerto- in Puerto Rico, you have sort of like one violence is replaced by U.S. violence, and mm-hmm. a lot. I mean, hello. Diablo Rojo Party, Panama. Panama technically is a creation of the United States, the hmm. same way that Puerto Rico is a creation of the United States. Now, Panama has its own independence now, but, um, you know, it was specifically, well, actually, uh, for a brief history of Panama, you know, Panama ha- was a very modern country before the whole Panama Canal came in and whatnot. Um And it was a black majority country at that time. But um, when the U.S. essentially took over to construct the Panama Canal, which is, you know, probably still one of the most significant trading uh, canals, uh, canals, sure, (laughs) Um, other bodies of water. In in the world, especially important to the United States, um, they literally displaced all of these black towns, black villages, um, whitened up the population through certain things. And and this sort of like blend regarding Diablo or, or sorry, regarding Panama is very central or it's it's very subtle and central in Diablo Rojo Party, in which I feel like so much is just accepted in that film as, you know, their culture. Like, nothing is made um, different in a way. Not in the same way that it is in Bacurau, where there's, like, this definite split in the Brazilian identity. Or even in Santa Sangre, where there are many different splits in many different ways. But in, in, in Diablo Rojo Party... Uh, the syncretic culture that is significant to all of Latin America in different ways um, is very just normalized, you know? Mm-hmm. And I think that that is what makes it, as you say, you like get into a different culture that is just so entirely different. And when it's treated uh, 
normal while you have tuliviejas flying around you. Um, I think it's really, really radical. Um, so one thing that I want to say before, I guess we get into the different films is horror in Latin America. And I think we've said this before, but horror in Latin America is not like a respected concept, right? It's has a big, uh, a big presence in Mexico, but largely because Mexico's film industry follows Hollywood's film industry more than anywhere else. And it has a big presence in Argentina, um, but otherwise, outside of those countries, horror is not really a respected genre or considered a respected art form. And I want to read a quote from an incredible Puerto Rican film scholar, actually. Her name is Rosana Diaz Zambrana, and she wrote this amazing book that is actually now out of print called Orofilmico. And it's all uh, these different essays about Caribbean horror and whatnot. And I, I love this book because she's writing from within the like marginalized, within the marginalized perspective that I'm talking about. And so let me go ahead and read you this quote. That way my rambling can make a bit more sense. But she says, through the diverse repertoire of the monstrous in Latin American horror cinema, the subject is revealed in their fragile and conflictive humanity. And that's something that I think we see in all of these films. Um, and their debate against adverse forces and the unknown. If fear is not only a way of speaking about the world, it is also a way of acting the visual image and the filmic discourse of horror provides us with an unfailing key to address ontological, political, racial, cultural, ethical conjectures, socioeconomic and or gender related to those unfathomable and overwhelming experiences in Latin America and the Caribbean that other genres are not capable of articulating, end quote. And so for me to build on that, one thing that we have said over and over in this uh, podcast is that horror is the manifestation of cultural anxieties, right? Right. <laughs> and, uh, it, you know, when we focus on the Western world, like the United States and the, and the United Kingdom, which largely uh, the mainstream perception of horror relates to the Anglophone uh, concepts of it, we can recognize that horror is a political cinema, but when we look at Latin America, it's different because Latin America did have a political cinema. Do you know about third cinema? No. Okay. So as I said, in the 20th century, we had many different fights for independence, right? We had in, in Cuba, it went a very different way. And Mexico, it looked a certain way. And Brazil, so on and so forth. And a lot of these fights for independence happened around the 1950s, 1960s, which at that time, we had an established cinematic form you know kind of think about it if we're thinking in uh the american revolution cinema hadn't been created so on and so forth but with these 20th century fights for independence cinema became a tool for revolution and so throughout these fights of independence many of these countries uh 
viewed cinema as a tool of revolution. And so there's this whole body of work that is revolutionary cinema called third cinema that is a very political cinema. So when we talk about, you know, like horrors, political cinema in the Western context, when we look at Latin America, there is a big shafe against looking at horror as political because, well, first off, it seems more like a westernized concept overall. But second off, we've had our political cinema, right? It looks a very specific way from the Latin American hegemonic context. So, you know, when we think of Latin America having these different film funds and the sorts of films they want to make to be legitimized on the world stage, horror is not prioritized, right? Mm -hmm. Um, And so it kind of, that's where we begin to build like a marginalized within the marginalized conception, right? That's why Mexican horror is always going to look very different from Panamanian horror, Caribbean horror, so on and so forth, because horror is conceived and perceived very differently within those contexts but especially from outsider perspectives you know a general american would probably just say oh latin america latin america all the same right yeah mexico is the same as puerto rico and blah 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 right beaches exactly beaches tacos right so on and so forth um and that's just very much not the case. And that's honestly what I, I really just want to underscore with this Tropicoth series is that I, I'm showing you the marginalized of the marginalized in many different ways. And these films should be taken as seriously, as politically as anything else, because they are even something like Diablo Rojo Party, which like to me is like literally a party for like 90 minutes. There is still a lot being said in its constructs and what it's using. And um, and everything is political. Everything is political in all of these films. Um, and that doesn't take away from their fun and and whatnot and so yeah. on and so it's forth. not like a hammer that says political that hits you over the head and you're like, like I got it. <laughs> no, I'm I'm <laughs> oh, I did see Nope. And I, oh, I, I enjoyed it more it. than I thought I would. Oh, that's cool. and it also has those moments that you're just like, Oh my god, why yeah. did you need to do that? Stop, yeah. stop, don't yeah. do that. And then they do it. Kiki Palmer yeah. was probably the best part of that film. She's pretty great. Yeah, she's pretty national awesome. treasure. Genuinely, yes, I, for sure. Yes, uh, elect her for president. Why not? Right. Well, yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, okay. Do you have any questions before I guess we get into Diablo Rojo party? No. So the Diablo Rojos are these school buses that were retrofitted during one of Panama's leaders. I forget, his name is General Omar, I think. I forget his last name. But, and I think they started getting retrofitted in the 1980s and whatnot. And they are super colorful, super beautiful. Like Yeah, it um, looks like party tropical party bus. And these are actually very common throughout the Caribbean. In Puerto Rico, we call them chinchorreos. Okay. And they go up the mountain and you drink all day because open container... On the bus or... So open container laws aren't a thing in Puerto Rico. Okay. And so it is extraordinarily common 
for a few things. First off, for the bartender to literally come to the driver's side of the car and uh-huh. like pour shots for everyone, and then you just drive up the mountain the, in anyone's car or just uh, anyone's for these car, anyone's car, anyone's car, wow, yeah, anyone's wow, car. Wow. But obviously, you know, like drinking and drive. Some people don't want to drink and drive, yeah, right? It's yeah. viewed as not, not a great, not great. thing, yeah, not a great for thing. the driver. So that's why chinchorreos. Uh, have become such a tradition, especially in Puerto Rico. It's like, okay, we got the bus driver and you everyone just packs up and you spend the Sunday going up, up, up the mountain uh-huh. because there's usually like a bar or a restaurant every mile, every half mile. Oh my gosh. Um, and you just like, honestly, the last time I threw up from drinking was at a chinchorreo. Wow. And then um, what, you get to the top of the mountain and then just hang out up there? I mean, it's fucking beautiful. Okay, yes. Yeah, yeah. Or you, you, you like then picnic? go down the mountain and collect more drinks. Okay, yeah. Okay. Uh, so this idea of the Ablo, like, um, but this bus wasn't didn't it look like a party bus no okay it so like Diablo Rojo, so bus. not exactly so it's a little bit different so Diablo Rojos uh were more envisioned as public transport especially uh-huh. because Panama is very jungly which this film actually entirely shot in the jungle mm. um Sol said that that was almost like the biggest challenge overall because it was like like how we see it in the film is how they shot it so like a lot of inaccessibility to power a lot Mm. of like a ton of rain like honestly sometimes i i don't seeing how cool the film looks also makes me realize like man they must have gone through so much to like even get like half of these shots right but the Diablo Rojos so they were viewed more as like public transportation but the thing is and why they're because Diablo Rojo how do you translate that red devils red devils exactly and that's because these drivers they weren't qualified you know so like they didn't have these, like their drivers exactly uh, and they would cause license. a ton of accidents and deaths yeah so much so that in 2009, in 2009, the leader of Panama banned them. Mm-hmm. So in this film... Because they're driving fast. Or they, just they, they were just viewed as public... Yeah, like there are huh? many... Yeah, there yeah. are many different and like viewpoints, obviously, like the same way that like our metro bus system or whatever, even yeah. though this is much more official, um, it has like a lot of controversy or whatnot. So, the, you know, there are people that were like, oh, they weren't that bad. But the it, majority... It did seem, what, was it official? Because it did seem like they were operating kind of outside no, the bounds. No, exactly. Exactly. Like maybe there was a regular city bus and then no, that, no, that no, didn't no. run as... No, no, no. Yeah. yeah. So when it was banned, they were no longer like supposed to be on the road, but that didn't entirely get rid of them. And that is what we're entering with Diablo Rojo party set 10 years after the ban. These Diablo Rojos still exist, but they're very much like on the down low, you know, in yeah. many ways. And that yeah. very much is sort of like established with the character of, I know, I forget the name of the bus driver, but Junito is his assistant. Already we have like a very politi- politicized figure. This Diablo Rojo party. Mm-hmm. Or sorry, the this Diablo Rojo. Exactly. Which if you know the Panamanian context, you already have like a lot of these very 
different signifiers, so to speak. Yeah. But even without knowing that context, it's just like they this, fill you in. Like you, you get yeah. that. Yeah. And it's very it's a baller ass vehicle. It you is. know, it's so beautiful. And essentially the Diablo Rojo is what transports these two dudes that like they are on this mission, like uh, the bus driver like had broke up an engagement or something or like he had like this he has some love issues and they're gonna go in into Chiriqui which is a province of Panama to kind of like go on this journey and in many ways I feel like this film is like a weird hero's journey Mm, may not go the ways that you expect but but that's very much the way it's going yeah I like a good road trip yeah movie too yeah it's got that feeling um, to it and also within the like first 10 minutes we do have ghost fellatio happen ghost, ghost administered fellatio yeah what? did you watch this film i swear i would have remembered that yeah i don't know what you watched ghost i feel fellatio. like you didn't well, watch i'm this very film. excited what's the date of this one again <laughs> june 28th june 28th yeah and that's within the first 15 minutes so oh, yeah 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 okay yeah I remember you that. suddenly remember uh, I, don't, I didn't i didn't know that fellatio i mean it could have been a hand job could have been nothing it was it definitely was, <laughs> ghost administered fellatio ghosty, okay yes okay do not take a, i feel i feel for I, this if ghost you say though. that's what happens ghost put in the work I, I think it was up to the audience's interpretation and i interpreted it that the ghost took his ding dong and then nothing really happened after that like he took his ding dong yeah in her hands but then but then like you know bleh. okay yeah all right um i didn't hear any sounds to make me think it was flowing i didn't realize i mean when we saw the entity you didn't hear the fucking ghost rape her like you just saw the ghost rape her Excuse me? What, the entity, what is this? You've never seen what the entity? Is, oh, oh, that's another God. movie? It's another movie? Yeah, the entity movie? is okay. 1982. Okay. It's about a supposed true story of a woman <laughs> being raped. <laughs> I hope it's not. Of, of a woman being raped multiple times by a ghost. There's like, uh, there's like a whole data set uh, sort of proving that it did happen. Yeah. Holy and data it starts, set? Yeah. What like is, like, what? They, like, like they literally... Seven plus seven equals this is no. They put her in in a controlled environment and was I think it was a university controlling for what to show that the ghost was raping her that the ghost had assaulted her. This This is is a fascinating film. 1982, the entity. It stars Barbara Hershey and Barbara Hershey. We love her. Okay. Yeah. No, it's a very. It sounds like I'm making a joke, but it's actually a very serious film. Um and. (laughs) I cannot believe you. Okey you dokey. are going to make people not come to Entity? things. Okay, okay. Um, well, in any case. So throughout the film, uh, we do have these very different blends of like Catholicism, Afro-descendant religions, and indigenous folklore central to how the horror plays out from the Tuli Vieja, which apparently like Clinton just blocked out the best right. part of the film. I'm gonna, yeah, enjoy it again um, when I see it for the first and time. I don't want to give any any spoilers, but I, if you do manage to understand what I'm saying and you Google the Tuli Vieja, it gives you a slight idea that at some point, with among the witches and among the indigenous 
warrior zombies and among the uh, Afro-descendant church rites and the Catholic and the churches blowing up and whatnot. Uh, I thought there were going to be no spoilers. <laughs> it's like that's not that's even a spoiler. In the movie. Now I know what you're talking about. Now I remember. Oh, I should have taken notes. Oh my goodness. Yeah, this is the, I didn't take you notes. I was took like, all of that for you to remember. The yeah, now had. I know what you're talking about. Um, She's yeah, the best now, part. Now I'm on the now I'm on the same page. Anyway. Um, but yes, uh, overall, uh, this is uh, this is probably the film that inhabits Tropagoth the most because it's actually set in, you know, like tropical, tropical mm-hmm. areas. But also it gives a beautiful picture to all of the variety that contains a Panamanian identity. And th- these things that I'm mentioning are actually things that Sol Moreno has talked about explicitly in interviews for this film that it was very important for her to like, yes, yeah, she does nod towards uh, Sam Raimi, particularly in a lot of the effects, but she really wanted to like include you know, the colonial influence of uh, Spain, but also include all of this beautiful, like, Afro-descendancy that is very central to Panamanian identity, and also the uh, very colorful uh, folkloric aspects that all sort of merge under this national symbol of the, of the Diablo Rojo. Like, honestly... It's very hard to do these things in a fun way. And I think Soul does that so successfully. Um, and it's just like, a oh, I don't know if I've said this, but Soul said when I told her that we're going to screen this film and whatnot, she said that. You told her literally? I had to. So this is a very, again, a very independent film. Mm-hmm. So usually how it works. So a quick, this is a little aside for those of you that wonder like, oh, how do you program events at an independent cinema? Well, uh, David has like this special David database. David is the Sun Cinema owner, owner or co-owner technically, but he's who I always work with. Um, he has like this special database that you put in a film, and it tells you who's a distributor, who's to call, who who to call okay. for you to screen the film. Uh huh. But for something like Diablo Rojo Party, which barely had a distribution deal and whatnot. Uh, when David looked it up, he was like, yeah, it says the horror collective here, but they're not a distributor. Hmm. Um, and the same thing sort of happened with the Bladettes. When we looked up the Bladettes mm-hmm. last time, he couldn't find a distributor. And I was like, I'll go to the director. Yeah. And that's just what I did. So wow. I found Jean-Pierre Piccolo on Instagram. Luckily, Son Moreno, like this is, uh, I'm in Latin American horror circles. I have a very good friend, Valeria, who's actually a very good friend of Salt. So we just linked up via Valeria on WhatsApp. Um, I told hey girl, I really want to play your film. I love your film. It deserves to be seen, so on and so forth. Now, with Jean-Pierre Piccolo, it was very easy because he was like, yes, yeah, do whatever I remember. you want. Yeah, he was Have like... Have a fun time. But Sol was like, Sol was actually very enthusiastic in a different way. She was like, yes, absolutely. I showed her pictures of Sons and she's like, oh my God, I've never seen a place like this. Um, I would love to have a place like this in Panama. Uh-huh. I think that the films that you guys program are amazing. However, I signed a distribution deal that has tied my hands and I don't have a lot of say regarding theatrical mm-hmm. uh, releases because technically our theatrical release already passed. Uh-huh. Um, 
but I'll go ahead and pitch it to them anyway, because uh, those of you that don't know Suns, it's a, like a one screen, 30 seat cinema you yeah. know so it's in like, like a row house in a row it feels house. like you're yeah, exactly yeah. so it's not like we're making tons of money not even screening. not even not even divided by no not a even ton. exactly like, exactly yeah, like, it's very about, much like for the spirit of yes of it's like if you charged films. people five bucks to come in you know what i mean to your backyard exactly <laughs> exactly yeah. and so when she then went to distributor distributor said yes and then she was like please send me any like graphics you guys make please do Aww, so yeah. soul is like super excited for wow. this which wow, makes wow, me wow. really happy yeah um you know soul is also the organizer and founder of panama horror film festival which is Ooh. the only horror film festival in central america what um what she is awesome i think this film is just one of the most underrated films and again, if, if like you guys go online and you see like, oh, this film was crap, blah, blah, blah. To me, those are like racist, sexist perceptions of something that like you did not meet the film where it's at. And mm -hmm. I think that the film gives you so much as long as you open your mind to accepting something from a country that you have never seen before. I guarantee Everyone listening to this has not seen a Panamanian film. This is what Panamanian films look like, and I love it for it. So, any other thoughts you have? No, on I'm with you. I'm ready to friggin' jump at it. All right. So then, on that note, jump in that seat. Yes. Yeah. In seat one of thirty-five. The, yeah. We're gonna watch this. This is gonna be awesome. Yeah. So in July, we're gonna be screening Bakura. Which is one of our favorites, directed by Cleba sorry, Cleba Mondosa Filho and Giuliano Dornelis. Double director. Double director. Double the fun. Yeah. I introduced Diablo Rojo Party. What would what do you remember about Baccarat? Baccarat? Oh wow. I remember that it starts a little slow, but it's also like it, it starts slow because it like it get, Diablo it, Rojo it, Party. It, let me let me keep going because Go I think I'm gonna say what you're saying. It it builds you into the environment and yes. and it's kind of sets a vibe and so it's not boring. It's just like yeah, you're unsure where you're going. You're unsure yeah. what kind of movie this is gonna be. Yeah, and I think to the movie's strength, it does evolve and probably halfway through you're watching a movie that you didn't think you were watching at the beginning yeah it, i remember that the it seemed very smart and there was a lot of um a lot that could be said and talked about as far as um commercialization gentrification racism like there just seemed to be so many um deep the context there was was pretty thick and it was exciting and interesting and f cool and you know yeah all all those things and heartbreaking in many ways i know that last again we're gonna try not to do too many spoilers but there were definitely some deaths or moments where you're like you know um you're not fully sure what's going to win out. Mm -hmm. um, it's definitely like a hard-earned narrative. Like, Baccarat, um, 
in many ways feels almost like a polar opposite to Diablo Rojo Party because it really, uh, as, as you said, not only takes its time, but also acknowledges the various complexity of like the uh, of what people are up against. You yeah, know? like nothing feels omniscient. Um and a lot of it just feels very scary because you you just think that perhaps things aren't going to go the way that you hope in many ways. Mm-hmm. Um, so to read, it's, it's also sorry to interrupt, no, but it's, it's also I remember such a racially diverse, oh in, yeah, integrated, oh yeah, in a way that as an American yes audience, it's it's kind of remarkable how remarkable it is yeah because that should be we should be used that we would think that we would be used to it with with modern television and movies but no it really still is no yes um, and that's actually such a well integrated yes yeah and and that's something that i actually do that's a very good transition to what i I do want to talk about in this film because when we first watched it which i think we watched it for we didn't even watch it for latin america we watched it for it was like a weird one. Oh, Hunter versus Hunter. Ah, that's, that's why a, we watched it. Which um, is a good theme for it, too. It was. I, I think you thought of that theme. Oh, props yeah. to me. <laughs> Maybe think of more <laughs> themes more often. Uh, so we were very much talking about that sort of us versus them uh, yeah. narrative that this film had. What I want to bring to this discussion or contextualization um, you know, Clinton is speaking from uh, an American perspective, right? Especially regarding mestizaje. And mestizaje, for those of you that have never heard that word before, literally means mixture. And it is commonly considered the like norm throughout all of Latin America in the sense that we're a mixture of three races, right? African slaves, indigenous uh, peoples, and uh, the Iberian Peninsula colonizers, Spain and Portugal, right? Um, And depending on the country, like if we're in Argentina, we're talking about a very different racial narrative versus Panama, which while Panama is not black majority anymore, it definitely has one of the largest black uh, populations in Latin America, um, mestizaje is looked at differently. And so I'm going to read a quote from a, a Latin American theorist. Uh, their name is Salome Aguilera Skivirsky. And so they say, quote, in Latin America, perhaps the most notable aspect of the conception of race is the prevalence of mestizaje throughout the region, along with the development of national ideologies of mestizaje. Uh Despite the high level of miscegenation in the region, it was not until the time of independence that the criollo elite, and so when we talk about the criollo elite, we're talking about um, the elite of the mesti- of the mestizos, um, began to integrate the indigenous and Afro-descendant populations, almost always subordinating them within the incipient national imaginaries. The way that this is different from the America, or rather the United States perspective, because to me, America means South and North America. So I'll try to be a bit more specific. But from the United States perspective is that we actually did have 
a similar mixture of races here. But in uh, the United States, as, you know, independence was reaching and the ideas of this country was being built, there was a whitening of the population being prioritized. And this was not done similarly throughout Latin America. Now, it depends sort of on the country. Uh, but overall, we and uh, us in Latin America, we have embraced the heterogeneity of that mixture much more than it has ever happened in the United States. I mean, there we I don't think we need to get into the history of like, uh, you know, uh, you know, white black relations as well as like what has happened to indigenous lands here and how the native populations have been regulated here granted i'm not trying to say like latin america is better in in these ways but it's different the approaches to mestizaje is very i mean we don't even have a word like mestizaje in uh the united states which in and of itself points to that difference right now, in Brazil, to Clinton's point, there is even more of a difference in racial national ideology than in Panama, than in Mexico or Chile. Um, and I'll read from Aguilera Skavirsky again. Uh, they say, in the Brazilian context, African cultural forms not only survived the Atlantic crossing and the period of slavery, slavery more intact than in the United States, but these forms in Brazil have also been more integrated by other groups beyond the black population. A large number of brown and white Brazilians practiced African-derived religions such as Candobele and in particular Umbanda. Furthermore, the Brazilian government facilitated the state of affairs by not implementing legalized segregation and by actively promoting Afro-Brazilian cultural practices, sanctioning them during the 1930s and 1940s as distinctive elements of national identity. So Brazil absolutely has made more of an effort than a lot of other Latin American countries to say... Black cultural practices are Brazilian cultural practices. Now, again, uh, this varies in the way that it is represented. Like we've seen as boas maneiras in this uh, pod in, in our podcast universe, um, and that's a film that I feel like is feels very segregated. Um, and I think you would agree. I think you've said that when we What's watch that movie? Good Manners, Mom. Werewolves lesbians yeah 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 okay yeah. uh yeah oh that one is more separate yeah which i think speaks to the i mean there are issues there are also similarities in racism right probably right. in brazil and the u.s too um i think one thing i remember about baccarat is that the from what i remember the directors intentionally made wanted to to show this level of integration uh, and, and that it might have been kind of like a fictional, it is a fictional community. It is. But they were very, they but really wanted to make Zeltau sure. is real though. Yeah. Yeah. They really wanted to make sure that it was integrated um, so that, I, I don't know if, and then this might be extrapolating more than what they said, but because if it was just a poor community of white, white or poor community of black or 
you know, whatever, that it would be different, that, that there would be more maybe different political, uh, I don't know, just be the interpretation would be different, I guess. Well, it, it's also, so to read a quote, actually, from one of the directors, uh-huh. they say, we come from the big city, not from the Seltau, which is where the uh, Bacurau is set in the Seltau. Uh, we're from the Northeast region, which, northeast region which is a huge region so the culture is very different there we were always concerned about not making a film of people that we don't really know yeah so i think this contact this wish to use archive images and history it kind of gives us more safety to walk in this terrain and to me baccarat is more of a film that speaks to industry versus collective community you know um yes there are these racialized aspects and we're speaking carefully because we don't want to uh reveal too much um but we did already say that there this is an us versus them narrative and when you do uh find out who the them is there is a very specific connotation to that them yeah but that them that we're talking about includes Brazilians, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. Um, and so, and so, yeah, I think that's why Baccarat does something again. Like we we brought up as boas maneiras, and the thing about as boas maneiras is like there's it's very much like quite literally like a black and white sort of thing going on in that one, right? Whereas in Baccarat, there is it sort of speaks to the complexity again that it's like, um. You definitely are rooting for someone, but there is a lot to contend within all of these different narratives of race, religion, uh, access to technology, access to community, right? Mm-hmm. I think um, what's most important about Baccarat is that it, it's it's a collective film, right? It's it's like um, it, it it appreciates the power in collectivity more than actually more than any of the films that uh, we're going to screen do. Mm -hmm. Um, It's very beautiful. Yeah. I think it has broad appeal too. Oh yeah. I think there are technically kind of like a Western. Yeah. Western vibe. Like a Western. Yeah. Yeah. Like a, got to protect the town sheriffs. Got to get out there. And the whole town has to get together. I mean, the town looks like, you know, it's it's a remarkable no it's movie. so beautiful yeah. yeah 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 so um Baccarat in July very very cool film I, it was released in 2020 so around the same time as Diablo Rojo party um it did have a little bit more traction like it was actually written about an NPR yeah. and things like that but then that was like COVID years you know no, so it, it was, probably got just no yeah you know it, it I mean? got fucked by COVID which yeah. is a, a huge reason why I wanted to bring it in alongside all of these thematic reasons is that I don't want people to forget this film yeah and my impact I, I uh John Johnny and Eileen watched it for Uike Horror. Who is that? Yeah, uh, Johnny and Eileen from Uike Horror. Oh, got it. Got yeah, you. they watched it uh-huh. because of my recommendation. So go. I feel like I've just become. And they liked of, it, probably, right? They loved it. Okay. They loved it's, it. It's, yeah, like you, exactly like you're saying, it deserves a lot more attention. We're only, what, 2023? We're three years out. 
2020 and 2023 are basically still the same year. Yes. Um, so yeah, this this movie should still be on people's minds and radars and, you know, must watch lists. Absolutely. And so on that note, we have Santa Sangre, which I definitely think for how just wild and remarkable this film is, it's definitely a film that's almost been forgotten by time. Really? Um, I mean, have I, you I heard of Santa Sangre so before? I've, it pops up all the time. I think on like Canopy, like oh okay, like library streaming services. How did you watch it? I watched it on Tubi. Yeah, again. no, I think it's yeah. only on Tubi. So now it's only on Tubi, but it had been, I think, on some. Oh yeah, other... I mean, because Alejandro Jodorowsky. I mean, like he's like he's, he's an icon. well known, right? Yeah, he's Super an icon. Well known. Yeah, a Chileno, but like you know, the Holy Mountain. I mean, how did you watch the Holy Mountain? Oh, so I actually got to see it. I went with my dad. We went to um, just a few years ago in DC. There was like a screening of it, so we got to see it somewhere. Just random. Uh, I mean, it was maybe I want to I don't know if it was an embassy putting it on or some oh, organization put it on and yeah. somebody gave a little talk about it or yeah. something afterwards. And we and might have left before that part happened. But yeah, that I mean, yeah, that movie has a whole has books written about it. Probably. Yeah, I mean, there's literally a fucking book on Hororowski's Dune. You know, the fact that he oh, was supposed that. to do I Dune that, uh, and movie. that's become like a whole or not. I think I think it's a documentary and yeah. that's become a whole you know, myth in and of itself, yeah. which is where Santa Sangre comes in, actually. Uh-huh. San, uh, when, uh, first off, Santa Sangre was, so 1989, it was, I, I'm pretty sure 1989, yep, that sounds yep, about yep. right. Yep. Um, it So the idea for Santa Sangre originally came from the Italians. They had spent time in mental hospitals like writing down people's oh I know right <laughs> writing Perfect. down I know right yeah. writing down people's stories and whatnot and they're through, just like trauma 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 yeah trauma 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 tra- and you know yeah. when we talk Ooh, about good. mental Ooh. hospitals in like say the 1970s 1980s like we're still talking about a time of like lobotomies yeah. right oh, so God. like you know that like, um, I always think about this. I'm like, whatever happened to mental institutions? And I'm like, whatever I don't, happened to mental like, Yeah, I think I, yeah. that their practices were not the best. Anyway, right. the, I don't think the treatments were uh, yeah. up to speed yet. I think now we just call them rehabs or whatever. Yeah. Um, but so as these two crazy ass Italians were like talking about, wow, all of these like different stories. They're they're very stark. Like, um how can we make a film about this and who can tackle it? They immediately thought of Alejandro because of the Holy Mountain. Hilarious. And so, I know. And so when Alejandro... <laughs> like, who's gonna t- <laughs> when Alejandro was, uh, was like brought into the loop, he was like, well, I want to work on the script a little bit too. Yeah. And so with Alejandro joining the, the fold... Um, so he's Chileno, which, you know, Chile has a very, 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 like when I say extremely violent range that I said earlier, that is where Chile falls. You know, we're talking about Pinochet, you know, we're talking about deep, deep historical cultural trauma. Actually, I just watched an excellent documentary called Nostalgia for the Light about this very subject. And it's actually more about stargazing but that's because in chile 
there's the, I think it's called the Atamaco Desert. That's probably wrong, but it's this like stretch of land where it's like the darkest or, or the brightest night skies where you can watch all that. But this is also where they have dumped the most bodies from the Pinochet regime. Um, so very, very beautiful, very sad. Um, but, you know, that's kind of giving context to where Alejandro's coming from. Uh, when the fights for independence happened in Chile, he exiled to like France and Mexico. So very much inspired by Mexican culture. Technically, all his all his children were born in Mexico uh, or born in Mexico or France. And so when uh, Alejandro got the script, he was like, OK, I can work with this, but I want to infuse some of the elements of Gregorio Cardenas Hernandez's story. And he's considered Mexico's first like renowned serial killer. Oh, my gosh. I know. And um, and he also wanted to kind of he was very much inspired by Hitchcock's Psycho, which I think is like, you said that you didn't see the end? No. Okay. Well, uh, I now, yeah, I get the Psycho thing. I, I watched enough to get the Psycho thing. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, the Psycho thing is like very, it, it's more towards the end that we kind of get it. And I don't yeah. think that's a full spoiler, but nah, yeah, when you yeah, get into the film, you kind of begin to see sort of goes. figure yeah. it out. What would you say Santa Sangre is about? Uh, well, if uh, so I just watched and I also read like the description of it, which the description gives some spoilers, but the uh, it's about a circus, a boy in a circus. Yes. Who, who his mom and dad run the circus. His mom, his dad is Orgo. His and his dad mom is, is like a hilariously <laughs> like characterized Hilarious, American uh, gross. Uh, Very much. Yeah. And uh, there is an awesome woman like tattooed lady who's got like yes. a lion on her butt. Yes. Considered and the opposite of his wife. This is a if good... we can think of his, the mom as like the vir- not virginal, but sort of like the, the Mary figure, right? Yeah, the Maria. She's very she's spiritual. very feminine, spiritual. She's very much uh tied to her faith and and, yes. and practicing that faith. Then Orgo's mistress, the tattooed lady, which yes. is just how she's known. And she's is, awesome and she doesn't deserve her fate. But anyways. Oh, I don't know about that. She's pretty bad. <laughs> Just for being a hoe? No one deserves that. I mean, no, she was pretty. She was awful. No, she wasn't that bad. She was awful. She just danced. She just wanted to have fun. But anyways. But the beautiful thing about her, or yeah. rather the beautiful thing about her inclusion is that Orgo is sexually aroused by this, technically this like queered object. You know, this tattooed lady that yeah. does not fit the Latin American imaginary. Is he supposed to be American? Or is he no, just like no, no. kind of dressed These up? are all Mexicans. But the, the um, no, I mean the character and like, because car- his carnival or, or circus is called the Gringo Circus or something like yeah, that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, he, and there's a lot of, well, there's a lot of like American flags and stuff. So I don't know if that's just like the theme of this circus. No, I, I, there's definitely a reading of the film where it's more like, you know, like Orgo is the male 
uh, American figure with Maria being the Mexican uh, imaginary yeah. and it being more like a border tale. Like, okay, okay. That can be metaphorized. Interesting, interesting. Um, including I mean, there's the, like a Texas flag at one point somewhere. Yeah, something. because we're right at the border. You know, a lot of border imagery here. Like there's a point where they're like occupying the uh, church and like the military storms the church. Mm -hmm. uh, so, yeah, I mean... Right, the okay, I go back to my... Um, yeah, go ahead, go ahead. Story. Okay, so there's a lady with a line on her butt. But that's not as important as the, the mother of our main character is... So she's very spiritual, as we've said. Um, she's very religious. But the the temple that she that she prays at and that she worships at, they she doesn't worship like the Mother Mary. She worships... This other figure who is... And the Catholics don't like that. And the Catholics are like, wow, you can't just, like, make your own saint. It was this, yeah, it's the saint that was, like, raped and... Well, I don't think it's a real saint. I think it's somebody... Yeah, it was somebody, like, in the town. A, a woman. A local person yeah. who was, like, her arms were chopped off. Yeah. And she was raped. Yeah. And so in the temple, they have, like... uh an effigy or like yeah. a, you know what I mean effigy is a good word is that the right word yeah. and then they have um, a like a pool of blood and so uh, yeah, yeah so uh, it's crazy it, there's a lot of violence that <laughs> happens crazy. in this film <laughs> I will say that a lot of um, it's def it definitely leans into the surrealism that is intrinsic of Hororowski's uh, whole vibe. Like, I think if you go on Wikipedia, they call this like a surreal avant-garde horror film. Mm -hmm. And I think uh, all of that is true, though I don't think that the film is difficult to follow. It definitely does lapse a lot into surrealist uh, segments. But I do think at the end, everything more or less does get sort of tied up um i also love one of my favorite uh figures in this film is uh the mute child his friend oh my god mm -hmm. i just i love her makeup I yeah love, she's iconic. so cool she's so cool but probably one of the coolest things about this film is that what it is that it's intrinsically a queer film mostly because what is considered normative in larger societies, so the Maria figure, Orgo, so on and so forth, they're what is abject, right? They're sort of the harbingers of everything that is dreadful and evil, whereas um, everything that is like borderless, that does not follow the Latin American norms from the tattooed lady to... Um, other sexual attractions that Phoenix experiences later on in the film, they're all queered in different ways. And I think mm. that it, that is just, um, you know, there are so many different ways to read this film from the national imaginary to queer readings. And there's this incredible book called Gender and Sexuality in Latin America by Gustavo Subero that like writes a whole chapter on Santa Sangre. And it's one of my favorite things um, anyone has ever written ever but um, it's a film that just gives a lot for uh, for any viewer, 
you know, I think you can read so many different things into this film and that's what makes it so unique and why I wanted to bring it up, even though it's technically like this multinational production and part of it is in Mexico. And I just had this big talk about Mexico, but I also think Santa Sangre hasn't been um, has sort of fallen back uh, because of all of these sort of like controversial aspects and all of these like queered aspects as well of hmm. the film yeah um yeah yeah it deserves to be i mean people talk about holy mountain all the time i think it deserves to be in the same oh yeah you know yeah yeah, yeah. somebody sure. somebody online i don't know it was on wikipedia or where said that they thought this is considered like the more the most accessible of Yodorowsky's films I would agree you think so yeah I mean if this is the most uh, you say <laughs> Yodorowsky it's Hororowski okay okay, okay. Hororowski Hororowski yeah. okay um and one of his sons makes music with Mola Ferte um many of his sons are just so goddamn talented so yes and also a little r.i.p for uh cristobal who gives a fascinating performance uh as the lead character there's just so much uh that he had to do and and just so fascinating and and also i think of all of these and this is actually a hard fought win because I think Baccarat is so beautiful, but I think my favorite cinematography is in this one. And a lot of that is just yeah. because the colors are so saturated. Um, and uh, again, this beautiful. is an 89 it's film. Beautiful. Yeah. It's an 89 film dealing with a lot of these topics, you yeah. know, um, in many ways, Clinton did say that it, it felt a little bit older and I do kind of see that, but in many ways, this film always feels so modern to me when I watch it. Um, and and yeah, and Santa Sangre, just for those of you that we, we translated Diablo Rojo Party, Santa Sangre means? Uh, holy blood. Holy blood. Yeah. The saint's blood. I would say holy blood. I agree yeah. with that. Yeah. Okay. Um, oh, yeah. And yeah. yeah, Santa Sangre. So that one is playing in August. And I think um, a really great transition to fall vibes. Go visit oh, the no. circus. I think it's more like uh, <laughs> just maximum summer. Maximum you know, like hot, it's the hottest. You, you're starting to go crazy. You're dehydrated. Oh, no. Yeah. You're like, what oh, is yeah. this? What no. is this? What is Though, this? We uh, hallucinations are also a thing. Actually, hallucinations are central to all three of these films. I just realized. Did yes, you just realize? New theme. New theme. <laughs> new theme. Tropagoth. We're saying drugs. Summer do drugs. of hallucinations. <laughs> Summer of doing drugs. Yes. Um, all of these films would be great on drugs and also sober. That's true. Wow. What yes. a nice way to, what a nice thing to say. And at Suns, there's a lot of alcohol. So there you go. Yes. Uh, tip your together. bartender. Tip your bartender. Yes. You please. know what I thought about? Um, I think Santa Sangre is going to be the hardest one to watch in public because I so needed to say out loud, what the fuck just happened? You know, like so many times I was like, what? I, well, what the? What? Excuse me, once that that's gonna be hard pe- to keep that people in. T- people reacted vocally and and queer. I encourage reacting vocally. Really, I, that's actually like uh, my I, I, yeah my goal. For it's a slippery all of these slope. Films. It's a slippery slope, though. Yeah, you know I, I hope you guys react vocally. I encourage okay. it. I encourage it because all of these films have what the fuck moments. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. I remember the first time the Tulivieja 
in Diablo Rojo party. Uh-huh. I, I I really was not expecting that. I was like, no. Yeah. I think it was like, oh, I gasped. Yeah. And in Baccarat, I know I had a gasp moment. And yeah. in Santa Sangre, yeah. Um, I had a moment in Santa Sangre where I didn't realize I was still holding the remote for the TV. But it was I was so shocked. I like flung the remote. <laughs> I was like, ah! And I was like, oh, God. Was it the... It was an, It was not even a moment you would. Ex- oh, it was just like a moment of tension. Oh damn! And I was like, ah! And I thought, oh my god! No, there's like watch a very a specific moment in Santa Sangre where I'm like, they're not gonna go there, and I'm like, oh my god, they went they there. They went there, yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> that's uh, that's what all of these films are like. Yeah. Um. So yes, Tropicoth series. Very excited for this. Support films that honestly have not been seen by a lot of people. You have Sol's excitement over this. Um, I'm sure Alejandro would be stoked. Um, and Brazilians are always happy. I yes. Feel, so. Okay. Okay. Well, that's an interpretation. Um, I want to say also, if you don't live in the DC area, um, watch these. Oh yeah. Follow along for sure. Tell tell your friends to watch them. Spread the word. Yes. Maybe host your own screening because it sounds like I mean, May, you're incredible. And, oh you know, we're all in awe of the things that you put together and do. Um, but I think you're a testament to you don't have to be connected. You don't have to. Oh, yeah. Be, I don't have friends. You know, amazingly uh, with financially back to to get screenings going. Support art. Yeah. Support art. Get involved. And if you if these movies excite you, you know. Put, share them with your communities. Sol started film festivals in Panama for horror and, and also not for horror because she wanted to build film cultures in Panama and look at how far she has come. I, I believe she deserves so much more. But, you know, one thing that uh, we haven't explicitly mentioned is that Latin America is technically, you know, in terms of discourse in academia it's the third world right it's the underdeveloped world but that doesn't fucking mean that like oh okay we're underdeveloped fuck it right like i like i said marginalized or, or within the marginalized than, or that you know, any less it's than, like oh well right? these movies aren't as good it's an entirely different way of filmmaking that we should all embrace and you know we should all embrace different colors of the world and different flavors and whatnot here, here. Yes. <laughs> but, um the diversity of these filmmakers and all of these different cultures is what makes them so beautiful and what makes it so exciting and i'm very excited to have a great summer watching these films with all of you um these are three of my absolute favorite films and um they make me proud to be latina i'll, I'll even say shout out to the latinas i feel like i just dropped something anyway here, here. Here, here. Okay. So thank you so much for listening. Yes. Oh, one one more thing. Maybe this will be out in time. I'm giving a lecture on queer horror for Profs and Pints on June 7th. That is a local Wednesday. series of uh, events where you can go to a bar. You pay like $15. And you get a lecture, like you get like, a lecture. You're, like you're going to a, a cool college lecture. course, yeah. you know? Yeah. And I'm going. I, yeah. 
And I think this one's going to be a little pun, which is downtown, I think. Okay, <laughs> probably. Um, it's where East Street, East Street, uh-huh. I don't know. Okay. okay. Yeah. Um, yeah. So, all right. All right. So go check that out. Yes. Yes. And come to screenings. Yes. There we go. All right. Thank you all so much for listening. Well, Till next time. Bye. Bye. <laughs>